I think sometimes we get to a point where we think, oh, I've grown up now, check, check my boxes, I've arrived at the age of 35, I've done what I said as I do on the tin. Oh my God, that's only when you start, really. All research shows the happiness curve goes up from around 50 plus. That's Alana Kirk, midlife coach, speaker, and author of Midlife Redefined. She started her career in the fundraising and journalism space, went on to build a family, and then learned how to dismantle that same family as she moved into the second stage of her life. And in this episode of Your Truth Shared, we discuss the whole idea of aging powerfully and this point in history where women typically live 30 years longer than our mothers did and what that can now mean in today's world. Lean in as we explore what's possible. I'm Fanola Howard, intuitive marketer, your host and founder of How Great Marketing Works. I believe that every business has a story to tell because that's how the market decides whether to buy or not. And your story has to resonate with who you are and with the people you want to serve. And this podcast is about helping you reach the market in a way that feels right to you. So if you're an entrepreneur with a dream you want to make real, then this is the podcast for you because great marketing is your truth shared. And today I want to talk to you about something that seems to be going around the ether for the last while, and it's this idea of midlife. We've kind of touched on it a bit in previous episodes. In episode 33, we spoke to Deborah December, which she was talking about reinventing life after 50. And episode 55, we talked to Catherine O'Keefe about menopause as being an opportunity to move forward. And I see my guest is cheering in the background here. And today I kind of want to talk uh, directly about this idea of midlife and this idea of it being a new stage in our evolution, a new stage for generations of role modeling of this idea of what comes next. Welcome, Alana Kirk. Thank you so much, Fanula. I'm getting excited already. My favorite subject. I know. Well, when we talked to each other originally, we were talking about aging powerfully, which let's also talk about that. But I like to talk about this idea of midlife. Now, some people will know you from, you did an interview with Tommy Tiernan. Last year, would that be correct? Uh, January. January. Okay. So just, so not so long ago. And you started the story of your life, which is, and it's expressed in a period of time over five to 10 years, five years as you build your family, five years, this is how you put it on the show, five years dismantling a family. It was a very powerful time for you, a very difficult time. I think you described it as a catastrophe in some ways. And I do urge Mm. people to watch that and I'll put a link in the show notes for um, that episode and what you know, time marker you can actually listen to and watch Alana being interviewed. It's very interesting. Tommy has a way of really getting to the truth of things. He really does. Yeah, he really does. Just to sum up in context and to, but also to honor this history that you have. Um, You had seven pregnancies with three babies. It's very tough for women. It's experienced so often and not talked about enough. You, as you brought your third child home, your mom had a cast- catastrophic brain seizure, which left you caring for your mom as well as three young kids. Four years later, your marriage ended when your husband became came out as being gay. Nine months later, you lost your mom. And as you said, 
on the show, you barely recognize yourself. This is a really powerful. I kind of want to honor that part of this journey first. Right. Thank you. And I, I think, you know, my obviously story is unique to me, but uh, I work with people in midlife and everyone has a story. And I suspect we're going to talk about story quite a bit here today. But yeah, it was it was obviously a tough time. That was not on my checklist of successful life events when I set out in my 20s. Um, yet, as we'll probably explore, and as I certainly spoke on Tommy Tiernan, it is often many of those events that have created the life that I'm living now, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. And I'd spoken to him about, you know, you have to honor and be grateful for the good, the bad, and the ugly in your life. And he had spoken to me about, well, how do you honor the ugly? Mm. And without the ugly, you sometimes, you don't choose to have some things happen to you, but it is about what you do with them. Um, and certainly, you know, my midlife was packed with a lot of instances. There was also a lot of really good stuff happening in that time as well. Yeah. But yeah, and I think we, we often think of midlife as a crisis point, but it, it isn't. It is an opportunity point on lots of levels. And it's kind of changed now. You had an interesting, in our kind of prep conversation for this, you talked about when you stay connected, you actually get to choose how you react to situations like this, that you can either be why me, which is victim versus what's next, which actually we talk when we talked, you said survivor. And I would actually advocate champion instead of, you know, what's next? Let's champion our own lives. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we can go through periods of our life. And that was obviously my intense period of and, and you're just in total survival mode. Yes. Um, and I was in survival mode even before that, just by the mere fact that I had three small children and I'm trying to juggle yeah. family life, career. And, you know, I work with a lot of women. And when we take a breath and catch a breath, you realize you've been on survival mode for quite a long time. And for some people, it's a couple of years. For some people, it's 10 years. For one client I particularly remember it was her entire life because of stuff that happened in her childhood and what I advocate and as you rightly say champion there is that no matter what is happening and not negating pain and loss and and all of the the, the, the difficult emotions and experiences to go through um it is about remembering that sometimes you've got to catch yourself and then get off survival mode and start thrival mode when you start to champion yourself within the context of your life. I remember working with someone a few years ago and they said to me, beware of indulging in your own emotion, overindulging in your emotions, Fanola. And it really shook me because I was like, am I doing that? Oh, maybe I am. Maybe I am doing that. And you know what? It's a dance. It's a real balance. I talk about this a lot as the dance. And, and really, you know, I think sometimes us in the West, I give this impression that, you know, the goal in life is 100% happiness. And I always remember this conversation a thousand years ago with this man in Vietnam and he'd smiled at me quite indulgently as my 20-something adventurer self was thinking about how wonderful I loved the vibe in Vietnam. And he said, well, here's the difference. In the West, you're brought up to expect happiness. It's something you think you deserve. Yeah. And here in the East, we just live our lives and we'll take the pockets of happiness as and when they come, knowing that they'll disappear and come back and disappear and come back. And that always stayed with me, that conversation. And, you know, I talk a lot when I talk to people about when they're trying to figure out what's next in their life, you know, picking up the threads of your life. And I think I always had a thread, but I didn't know it back then of psychology or, or managing emotions and feelings. And 
that conversation stayed with me. And it is this idea that sometimes we think the goal in life is to be 100% happy all of the time. No, it's not. The goal in life is to be able to manage and go through a wide range of experiences and emotions and stay connected to yourself. Even the good, the bad, and the ugly. And stay connected to yourself. To yourself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that overindulgence. So I talk about the goal in life is not that happiness thing. It is the dance between self-acceptance and self-improvement. And the self-acceptance piece is, is not just sitting back and going, right, I'm done. I've ticked all my boxes. I'm done. And or accepting your faults and failings and I'll never get better. I'll never get over this or I'm not that kind of person and all of those limiting things. So it's the dance between accepting the where you are, what's happened in your life. You may not have ticked all the boxes or you might have ticked more boxes than you imagined and certain things might have gone your way. But here I am. Here's what I've got. And then that dance between that and self-improvement. Where can I keep evolving? Where can I feel better? And it's not from a judgmental point of view, but it is that dance of, okay, what's next? Where where can I feel better about this or how can I improve? And I know you had a great podcast episode recently with Lucy O'Reilly and you talked about that issue of checking in regularly with your business to sort of upgrade yourself and upgrade the software because you don't want to keep working on ideas and goals and ideas of success that you might have set up in your 20s. And now in your 40s, when certain things have happened, you're still thinking you have to check in regularly and go, who am I now? How am I now at this age and at this stage of my life? I like that. Who am I now? How am I now? But also even it comes to me to say to you, it's like the goal of life is to live whatever that may bring. Even if it's really uncomfortable. Yeah. And also this idea of when you talked about the ticking of the boxes, I'm like, why do we have so many boxes that have to be ticked? I'm like, Hmm. why do we need them? And that's really conditioning, isn't it? Do you think that's a Western philosophy versus that Eastern philosophy? I loved what that guy said to you. It's really that expectation of happiness. Like, yeah, it's a re- good, really interesting reframe. And if I could sum up so much of what my coaching does, I say I work now mostly with women in midlife. And a lot of it is just going, okay, if you were to recheck in, which is exactly what we do, and go, what's important to you now? having lived 20, 30 years from when you set that checklist up. And, you know, we do. I see it. I have a a child turning 18 in a couple of months. I'm starting to see the boxes she's setting up that will be, I guess, the marker of her success. So for many of us, you know, for women that can be, you know, for me, it was traveling, building a career, possibly getting a house and a partner, possibly a family, you know, a decent bra. Women spend 30 years trying to find that. You know, you get your checklist. (laughs) And... um, I got a new bra last week. I was so happy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's honestly, it's the little things in life now. Um, But it is understanding that you have to regularly check in with those checklists to go, is that what's really important to me now that I've loved and lost and lived and laughed and learned and all the L's? Um, You know, because we are, you said in the introduction, and it's such an important word, evolution and evolving. And I think sometimes we get to a point where we think, oh, I've, I've grown up now. Um, I've che- checked my boxes. I've arrived at the age of 35. I've done what I said that I do on the tin. Oh my God, that's only when you start, really. You, you've got to evolve and change, grow. And I really genuinely hope when I'm 93, I'm going, oh, that's interesting, Alana. Why did you think that? 
that's an in where did that thought come? How did that behave? I hope I'm still curious. I have a story for you about that. I uh, I go sea swimming, as most people know, but I remember going down. And I might have told this before, but I still love it, so I'm going to tell it again. I remember going down it's to your show, the Fidera. Strand. You could do what you like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so there is there was an eight year old man um, walking down uh, to take a swim, and then there was like a seventy odd year old woman woman coming down as well, going for a swim. And he turns to her and he says, "Fancy a race?" <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Such inspiration. Yeah, I love it. No, no, I was just going to tap into to what we, why this is such a unique midlife now and why this is so interesting yes, a question perfect. to ask now in life because um, it is such a unique time, especially for women, but also for men because we do have a vastly expanded midlife. Midlife almost used to, you know, by the way, midlife crisis was was sort of captured in in 1967 in a, in a in a psychology research piece, and it was very clearly debunked quite quickly. But unfortunately, the phrase stuck that you go through some sort of crisis. Um, what what does seem to happen is you can go through a kind of slump, and that's really where all your expectations meet reality. But actually, what happens after that is you rise, your happiness rises to a greater extent, possibly because. You're not chasing these boxes. You're you're a bit more con- you're a bit more considered into what you are chasing. Can you repeat that, please? That's really important. So we are told that it rises. Yes. Yeah, so that you, it's called the happiness curve, and so you 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 sort of from your twenties you you actually slightly go down a lot, and you're kind of chasing a lot. You're never quite satisfied because you're still trying to check tick the boxes. So your happiness is over there in the future. Oh, I'll be happy when I've lost weight, got the job, got the money, got the house, got the man, got the whatever. I'll be happy when. So you're chasing all of this, and then you hit a sort of slump when you go, oh, maybe I've arrived, and this is it. But actually, all research shows, and this is even clear in some uh, species of uh, of primate, the happiness curve goes up from around fifty plus. And I yay think, yay, <laughs> um, and that's why it's so exciting a time because people sometimes feel, especially because we live in this age of anti-aging propaganda and that, you know, everything useful is good and everything aging is bad. You literally have cream saying anti-aging, which is hard because it's biology. And I, you mentioned it before, I talk very much about, forget about aging gracefully. We have to age powerfully. And that means taking charge of your life, the good, the bad and the ugly. And Dancing the dance between self-acceptance. Right, I'm 53. I don't have the skin of a 30-year-old anymore. Yes, I'm accepting that, but it's sure as hell not going to make me unhappy. I have to take what I've got. I'm still standing. I'm in mourning this week, as many, many, many people are with Sinead O'Connor. And I will, and I've been saying it to quite a few people this week, you know, channel that inner such an O'Connor, that that desperate urgency to live truthfully um and we're almost sometimes afraid to do that in our 20s and 30s and i think midlife is this complex time but it's a real opportunity to start living more and you know i think the word authentically is getting overused these days but it is more truthfully more yourself i liken it to the russian dolls the nesting dolls we start off with this chorus and i mean i have three children same parents totally different children so we each start with our core and innate person. And then 
we take on another layer, the, the cover of maybe our culture, the time that we grew up. I grew up in 1970s, 80s Belfast. You know, misogyny was at its height. You were very much told which side of the fence to sit on. So you take on a role. Then you take on another layer, which is maybe the sort of career or the interest that you take on. Then you take one on as maybe a partner, then one on as a parent, and you start living these roles. So the outer doll is the one you present to the world. And the key, and where I work with a lot of women, is that sometimes those roles smother the core. And the goal, if you can, is for the core to color the roles, not the other way around. Or shatter them. Or shatter them, yeah. It's, it, it's interesting because I find this really interesting at this, and, and you've said this in our conversations as well, that this is a really powerful time because 50s now and all this talk of menopause and everything, but the whole advent of HRT and also alternative approaches to uh, supporting your menopause has meant we are no longer this drooling uh, hag sitting in the corner that has no sexuality, no identity, no purpose, no use, except to sit in the corner and maybe be a grandmother or whatever. Uh, Now it's flipped on its head. We are powerful now as women in society, which is challenging everything. And it's, and I don't want to get into a thing around anti-men because everyone has been challenged by this, these new roles and these new identities. It's such an opportune time. And it can release a lot of men from taking the responsibility. You know, they have their burden too. Women have theirs. It's it's not about anti-men, but it is about a, a patriarchy, which told women that once they had fulfilled their traditional role, which had been the role for millennia, 2000 years, the only main function of a woman was to produce. And once that function was done, you were fecked into the corner to knit and desexualized and devalued. Um, but you physically, you physically experienced that also yes. because we didn't have the medications to return these hormones that were, that had depleted. Mm-hmm. We now have them. So mm-hmm. we are more vibrant now. Oh, joy. So we can challenge that. Yeah. I mean, I spent my 20s and 30s and early 40s trying to find the perfect gin cocktail. And now I'm finding the right HRT cocktail. And it is, it's a, it's a, it's a 10 year journey of, you know, a bit, a bit more estrogen here and a bit more here. And I'm on testosterone now, which has been a game changer for me in terms of my mental clarity. Um, I love it. So it's exciting time. But, but I think the biggest difference, just to put it in really tangible terms, when my mom was born in 1936, her life expectancy at birth was 50 nine. That's not a typo. Yeah. You didn't hear properly wrong. 59. And as a result, obviously, in the last hundred years of such an improvement in health, etc., she was actually in her mid-80s when she when she died. Um, when my youngest daughter was born in 2010, her life expectancy at birth was already late 80s. And they're, they're saying likely to be adjusted to 100. So between my mother and my daughter, there's nearly 30 years of extra living. But that's not the best bit. The best bit is if you're lucky and you look after yourself, those 30 years are to be lived in midlife, not old age. You get to choose. And that's where aging pause comes in. Say more about that. Not old age, meaning meaning that we're physically better now or what are you thinking? Yeah. So you can you you can live a lot of that 30 years um in vibrant, valiant midlife in your 60s and your 70s. I have many clients in their 60s going traveling, starting new jobs, starting new careers, going back to college, 70s, or 
if you don't look after yourself and understand that this is a unique midlife, and this would apply at any point, you can live more of that time in old age where you're you're a bit more you're your loss of independence, maybe your health isn't as good, and all of those things. So um, it, it the, the unique thing is we get a far longer extended midlife, and for women in particular, because that's coinciding with this post-menopause renaissance, for want of a better word, after possibly giving birth to a family, you can now give birth to yourself in a sense of, this is my time. I get a second chance at raising not just the family I've raised, but my, of my whole life. And I see it over and over and over again. Let's just repeat that. Let's just repeat that. Oh yeah. So after perhaps giving birth to a family, and again, that's what's even more exciting. Let's just even park that piece that Women now have choices and options because of financial independence, because of, of you can work in careers. You can choose to be a mother or not. You can choose to be married or not. Uh, you can choose to get married after divorce or not. You can, the choices available now to women post 40, 45, 30, whatever age you are now. Um, I, I've had several clients whose marriage ended in their early 60s, devastated, not because they wanted, for other reasons. And one in particular, she was 63, she was just about to retire her marriage, and her husband runs off somebody else, and now she's selling the family home. I mean, absolutely devastated. And what turned around in the nine months that I worked with her, and it wasn't just because of me, but she had this, she's got an entire new life ahead of her now. Now, yes, I'm not negating the pain and the loss and and all of that and the fear. Um, But the opportunity for women now to overcome issues that might have happened, like divorce, like loss. Um, Women are often the carers for a huge part of their lives. I mean, my first book was called The Sandwich Years because my mom had this stroke three days after Ruby was born. For a year, I spoon-fed them both and changed their nappies. The mom was like that for five years. Um, and so a lot of women are caught up in those care roles. Um, and then there can come a time when suddenly you're untethered. Now that can be scary. And I talk a lot about women now preparing themselves for when your children leave home so that it is an opportunity and not a loss. Not you can mourn, you can grieve, but you also must be secretly quite excited. Bye, see ya, close the door, cry. Right, my time. Do you let me ask you a question? Do you think women realize this opportunity is here? Because I'm often asked, have I waited too long, Fanola? I don't think so. You quoted something at the beginning, which um I had said to you before, and I just want to make sure I didn't say those words. I, I was I was quoting Dr. Edith Eager, um, who is a psychologist who was survived one of the Nazi camps and went on. She wrote her first book at the age of 92. She wrote her second book at the age of 95. She is still the most, if anyone hasn't seen or heard of her, just Google Edith Eager, watch any of her videos, buy the book, The Choice. It'll be the book that changes your life. And in that, she talks about you have a choice. So victims will say, why me? Survivors say, what's next? Now, that's not immediate. You know, when my husband was packing the spare glasses into the boot of his car um, <laughs> and, and leaving me with three small kids as my mom was dying, um, I wasn't going, oh, great, what can I learn from this experience? Whoopee, this is an opportunity. I had to grieve. I had to figure out what was next. I had to take my time to do that. Um, 
But there comes a point when you've got to put the Doritos in the gin away and turn back and say, right, come on, build yourself back up. And what can often happen and what so many women and men, I'm sure, who go through loss or change or unexpected expense in their life, you think you're standing in the rubble of your life, but you get to choose now which pieces of that rubble do you use to build the next piece of your life. Some you will leave on the ground, thanks very much. That limiting belief or that behavior or that person or whatever, you now get to say, I'm going to pick up the pieces of my life, decide what it's going to look like and build a new future. You're amazing at what you do, but it hasn't translated into the success you wished for. You want to make a bigger impact and it's time to do something about it. It's time that your brand, your website and all your messaging speak to that bigger vision you have for your business. So if you're ready to build a business that moves you, moves you professionally, financially and personally, then this is our invitation to design your own success. Design Your Own Success is the ultimate live and in-person program dedicated to businesswomen like you. Say goodbye to endless decision-making and fragmented initiatives that never seem to move the needle far enough. Instead, spend five days in November with us and our winning team at the Brook Lodge in McCredden Village, fast-tracking your success. Design Your Own Success, five days in-person, packed with exactly what you need to take your business to the next level. Find out more at designyourownsuccess.com and register your spot today. This is Finola and Lucy. And we can't wait to meet you there. When so often in particularly in a woman's life or a man's life, so often this whole idea of society and these expectations on us of society and the roles that we should take means that we don't, we're often not used to making these choices of that, of this idea of I want or I can have, or actually just I want. I just did an episode recently with, uh, that hasn't been released released yet with Marla. And we talked about this exercise of I want. Do you think we're used to saying I want in our 50s? Um, no. And that is, I would say, 90% of my work is... Yes, I can. I've, I, you know, I'm a coach. I, I can help people. I give people f- frameworks and, and all the rest of it. But, but the vast majority of, of, of what I do is allowing women to listen to their own voice for the possibly the first time and understanding that it has real value and to listen to the GPS in it, uh, as opposed to. And you know, we go back to our very beginning conversation. I think this can apply very much to men as well. I think it's got a certain deviousness with women as that really hurts them in a way that, you know, we do set up those checklists because that's what we see around you. That is the expectation. That is the cultural narrative that this is what we have to, you should do. And slowly we're changing that, that you can, oh, well, I can maybe not do that cultural piece. I will not get married or I will not have kids or I will work and have kids or I can do all these things. And a huge part of my work is, is allowing women to ask the question, what do I really want? Um, and Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote Deep High Love, says it beautifully. She said, um, sorry, it was Cheryl Strayed, actually, from, from uh, Dear Sugar. She said, we spend our 20s asking the question, who am I? And hopefully at midlife, if you take the beat, you ask a much better question, who am I really? And uh, and like most of us, you're trying to get off the the, 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 the starter at, at 20s. So you do, you follow the signs that you think are there. 
But as you get older now, with this extended midlife, we get to maybe ask a better question, who am I really? And make better and different choices. Let me ask you another question. Do you think the the generations behind us are faced with this same, these same outdated expectations of what boxes we should be ticking? Because very often, and I see this in leadership in organizations as well, that in their 20s, leaders are being overloaded with situations where uh, on people in, people that are working for them in their 20s and 30s will say, I don't want to do that. <laughs> are we the only generation, this, again, sandwich parenting, but sandwich living, perhaps, that has to learn how to say I want, that perhaps the 20-year-olds and the 30-year-olds have already realized how to do that? Mm. It's really interesting because a lot of it is 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 down to individuals. You you will have someone who has always been very forthright and knows, knows themselves inside out. We just spoke about someone like Sinead O'Connor. Um, in many ways, I had a very clear trajectory of my life. You know, at 18, I left Belfast and went to Pakistan and had took a year off and, and taught English and was, the, you know, there was, there was different roads. But so following those threads, but yes, I want, I hope, I, re- I have three daughters and, and I hope I'm raising feisty feminists. That's a nightmare to parent, let me tell you. <laughs> but I'm really, really, I'm trying to get them to listen to their voices and understand that their 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 wants are important um, in a way that, I mean, I think I spoke to you before about this, but one of the ways that it really showed up in our generation for women in particular, um, and, you know, I grew up with a brother, an older brother, and my parents were pretty liberal for, for that time in the sense that there was never any difference in my house between who did chores. We both had the same amount of chores with the same expectations on us to go to college, all that kind of stuff. Both of us were the first people in both sides of the family to go to university. But there was one big difference. When my brother went out on a Saturday night, my parents said, have fun, have fun, see ya, have fun. When I went out on a Saturday night, I was told, be good, be good, good. stay safe. And that difference is really interesting because for women in particular, from a very early age, you just get a post-it note on your brain to say, contort, be good, be a certain way. You talked already about those expectations. Smile, smile, sweetie. Don't be angry. No, no, women, don't, that's not a good accessory on a woman. Um, and I think it's really important now to find that voice. And you don't have to be angry, shitey, but you can be angry about the way it's really unfair. I work with a lot of women who are really struggling to juggle. We were told we could have it all and it's really hard because it we're doing it all. And what I would hope for the next generation to answer your question is I hope in particular for the women, they get to say, I'm not carrying the guilt. If I want to have a career, I'm going to have a career and I want a family and here's the support. I need to do that. And this is where our generation Fanula, really matters because I believe we're a bridge between my generation and, you know, you talk there about men, uh, HRT. My mum, for many, one of the reasons I do what I do now is because of the life that my mum ended up having. She had a hysterectomy and, and um, so surgical menopause. I'm sure, we knew nothing about that. For years, I thought my mum was mad. And we look back now and realise. Um, so I think you and me are the, are the generation, the bridge generation between the women who couldn't 
and the women who are going to. And we have to be the role models. And that means for me, for example, I'm really clear that I can hear the voice. I can hear the conditioning saying, keep going, don't sit down, don't put yourself first, don't do this. And I bloody sit down and read a book so that my girls can see that I have to value myself too. I'm going to sit here on a Sunday morning and read my book with a cup of tea in the sun and then maybe go and do some housework. It's so important for me to role model to them that you get to put yourself first, even when it feels really hard because we're fighting a lot of that conditioning. Do you think there's a backlash against uh, all this talk about women, women having choice, the talk against the patriarchy, which let's face it exists, but there is a backlash against, like there's so many men and young men saying we're sick of hearing about the patriarchy. It doesn't justify women taking it to the other extreme. And to try and explain this idea of, well, well, actually, at the moment, whatever we do right now wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't come close to what we've been living with. But they don't know this. How do we explain this in a way that we don't have our wonderful men get fed up hearing about our emancipation and our independence and our next stage of life and our new opportunities? How do we start that conversation? And I'm thinking about my son here, who's 14, and I'm thinking about him listening to uh, so many people bad-mouthing men. And, and I love my men in my life, my partner and my son, and I want them to see and live in a world where we, we, are, we are, bored saying, equal. Mm. What are your thoughts? So, love it. And I agree, and I love that um, Clint Moran, his new book, is is about men and about how the patriarchy does not serve men either. And, you know, the patriarchy yeah, is yeah. some out there notion. It is just a system that, for many reasons, because it was just historical, um, it was built around men and men's needs. It wasn't done in a Machiavellian way. It wasn't, you know, well, some of it was. But mm-hmm. so the patriarchy doesn't serve men. <laughs> For that very reason that our boys, just like women have expectations, so do so do the to the boys, and that doesn't serve many of them either. And actually, I think women have a far greater latitude than men. If you look at the spectrum of femininity, where you have you know the Barbie pink feminine right through to sort of goth girl or whatever, women actually can be quite a lot of things along that spectrum. The spectrum for men and manliness is a much more shorter one. You step ever so slightly into the the gentle, poetic, slightly, you know, then they're into a different space. I think women in many ways have a much wider acceptance of you can really be any kind of woman to a degree. Yes, of course, you're always going to have some social narratives, especially you're going to have the usual TikTok and Instagram telling us all what a woman should look like. Yes. Uh, but actually within that, I do think men have a much narrower acceptance space than women. But in order to answer your question... Acceptance by them or by us? By, in inverted commas, society. I think women yeah, love yeah. a softer man <laughs> in many ways. Um, yeah. But, you know, if you, you know, if you went to a boys' school and somebody shows up loving poetry, he might, you know, not... not uh, poetry is probably too... But you know what I mean? If you're, unless you're a rugby playing sort of or else a sciencey nerd, there's, there, I think there's a far more limited spectrum for boys. But to answer your question... This isn't about being anti-men at all. Of course it's not. It is about trying to build a system where everyone can thrive. And 
you know, boy, girl, man, woman, whatever in between. It is just, and right now, I don't know whether the system allows anyone to fully thrive unless you're a very specific type of type A, top of the CEO ladder or whatever. Or, um, But I think it's really important to involve and include. I, I did a talk recently for LinkedIn and it was, uh, you know, it was very important to have the man's perspective on how they're feeling about women coming into the into the workplace and the 50 plus women space is enormous now because where women retreated, women are coming back into the workforce for a good 20 years now after raising a family. So how do they allow that to happen? How do and they able to bring those skills in? And I think there's a gorgeous, I and as a writer, I'm devastated that I can't come up with the right word. It will come to me at some point. But I think there's a gorgeous space developing in both the workplace and in business and in our, our lives, which is you used to work, raise your family, and then retire. And now because of this extended midlife, there seems to be a period of time, at the moment it seems to be mostly women, but I, I'm seeing it happening with men too, where you work, you build your career, and then you don't want to be at that pace anymore, but you don't want to retire. And there's a lovely 10, 15 year period where you can maybe follow a passion, start a new business, um, work as a consultant to do, do something differently because you don't need to do it at the pace. You're not raising that family. You're not at that break, break net, you know, but you're not ready to do nothing in inverted commas. Not that that's necessarily what people in retirement do, but, and I think that's a lovely space too. Basically this idea of an extended midlife and redefining it. And I talk about it in my book, Midlife Redefined. We now get to redefine everything, relationships, careers, health, how we look, uh, post-career careers, uh, all relation, you know, post-marriage relationships, everything is now on the table for us to define and why it's kind of difficult for some of us women. And you asked before about women over 50 understanding that they've got this voice. I think it's a virgin landscape. And Go back to those checklists in your 20s. It's a really clear, well signed, lit, you know, uh, signposted method. Here's the pathway. Look, you get the job, you get the career, you get the high. There's, it's, it's very clearly signposted. And now women are getting to 50 going, hello, there's this whole expanse ahead of me and the signposts aren't as clear. And what I do in my work and what I hope women can see is that they have the colored marker in their pen. We get to write some of those signposts. And yes, that's scary. Not suggesting it's not. And yes, that can be hard. And yes, you might have to overcome loss and grief and change. You may have to, but you also get to grab. Look back through the threads of your life and think about what really inspired and motivated. And ha- you know, and a lot of time I work with somebody going, tell me the bits that really worked for you. And we pull the best bits and they go, right, how can I mold that into something new? And um, that's how I feel. It's hard work. It's not easy. I'm not suggesting it's some paradise. You know, I still have three loads of laundry. <laughs> you know, I'm still making the dinner. and I'm still. But I do very much feel like I have the colored marker in my hand. And you get to write your own story. Yeah. I love it. Thank you so much, Alana. Thank you, Fnilla. I really, really enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you'd like to find out more about Alana, 
Check her out on LinkedIn or on her website at themidlifecoach.org. And if you'd like to support the show, please leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts and reach out and let me know your takeaways from this episode. What would you like to know more about? Send me a message. I'll be waiting.